as you know, the, um, God has committed, or the Lord Jesus has committed to the church worldwide the responsibility of reaching the unreached nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we as a church here at Bridgie have the privilege of having our representatives, Paul and Alison Hodges, working in Cambodia, along with their sons, Jacob, Elijah and Ethan. And we were blessed over the missions weekend to hear from four of those five. And this morning we have the privilege of hearing from Alison. I was with Paul and Alison and the family a few years ago, and I was blessed by just hearing their heart and their passion for reaching the lost. They were in a state of transition then from what they'd been doing to what they really wanted to do, what was on their hearts. And so let's warmly welcome Alison now as she comes to share with us. I was, I was going to pray for Alison up here, but Joan covered that very well. <laughs> Thanks, Alison. I'm going to take this out. Is that okay? Thanks, Brian. Well, good morning. How lovely to be here at Inspire. I hear about Inspire on almost a weekly basis because my beautiful parents and my, my um, in-laws as well enjoy the Inspire community so much and it's such a highlight in their week. So it's such a privilege to be here with you this morning. I have some apologies from Paul. Um, he will, God willing, be joining us during the service at some point, but he's doing a bit of teaching at the moment um, at Northside where the boys are currently um, studying and he is actually teaching this morning, but he hopes to join us before the end of the service. So you've just got me this morning, but hopefully that will be enough. Now, I just wanna say every time I stand up on this stage at Bridgie, I'm completely overwhelmed at the amazing, intentional, faithful community that God has given our family. I am so, so grateful. I'm grateful to each and every one of you. We are so incredibly blessed by our leadership in this church and our pastors, aren't we? Like we are so, so blessed to be under such incredible leadership. And just the faithfulness of our community has been so evident, especially I've got to say in the last few years when things have gone wrong, you know, in our family and, and people have been so incredibly generous to us, praying for us, supporting us, encouraging us. So I just wanna thank each and every one of you for that as well. Um, so, I think most of you know who I am, but um, just in case you don't, I'm Ali. Um, my husband Paul and I have been in Cambodia for quite a few years now with our sons Jacob, Elijah and Ethan. Um, and we would love to share a little bit more today about um, basically what we, um, how we are serving God there in Cambodia. And I, I feel that God has given me a, a message to share with you today. But before we start, let's just pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity to be inspire. Your faithfulness is so, so evident to us, Lord, in this beautiful community that we belong to. And I'm just so grateful for each and every person who is here today and those who listen online um, later or through the podcast, Lord. And thank you, God, for bringing us together as a community. I pray this morning as I share 
a story of someone incredibly important and special in our lives in Cambodia, that you will just open the hearts of everyone to receive whatever it is that you have for them. Lord, I thank you um, that your love for us is so complete and your you are so ready to receive us, God. Your, your love for us just brings us into new places of healing and wholeness that we could never, ever have known without a, a relationship with you. I just pray that as I share today, that this message of truth will be made known, all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I suppose the first thing I'd love to do is just explain a little bit more about what Paul and I are involved in, um, in Cambodia, at the, as far as our sort of our ministry work. And when I say Paul and I, I, I consider our boys very much part of our life and our mission and our calling to Cambodia as well. Um, as many of you know, um, when we first went to Cambodia a few years ago, Paul was teaching at the Christian International School there. But after about 18 months, I was diagnosed with very advanced cancer and we came back to Australia for a season where I, was, um, I went through surgery and chemo and treatment and, and those sorts of things. And of course, you know, I can never ever get up on a stage without giving God the glory for the fact that I'm, I've been healed of that cancer. That's about, um, about seven and a half years ago now and I just wanna give God the glory for that. Part of our return to Cambodia though um, was to work with a particular mission or ministry over there. We are sent by Pioneers, uh, the mission organisation, but we, we're in partnership with an organisation called Alongsiders. And I'd love to share just a little bit of what, of what Alongsiders does, and then I'm gonna share a short video with you as well that'll explain it a little bit more. So Alongsiders is an international movement of young Christians who spend time basically praying and discerning about one child in their local neighborhood that they can become a mentor or a discipler of. We, um, the, the movement started in Phnom Penh about, about actually about 15 years ago, but most recently the Alongsiders International Movement was, was birthed, sort of rebirthed again in Cambodia in 2013. Alongsiders now exists in about 16 different countries all throughout the developing world. We also now um, have, have had some some initial um, work happening in, in the country of Holland as well, and Alongsiders Europe has been birthed. The idea behind Alongsiders is, I suppose, our motto or the thing that, that we talk about a lot is that Alongsiders, with Alongsiders, the Alongsiders movement, we walk alongside those who walk alone. The specific calling of an alongsider is to come alongside just one child, usually a very vulnerable child, in your own community and to enter into an intentional mentorship, discipleship relationship with that child. Paul and I have the privilege of being part of that work. We are based in the support centre in Phnom Penh. Paul looks after the finances across the international movements and I support with the, the, the people side, the human resource side, and I do a lot of policy and um, help and support in any way that I can. 
Currently, we have about 5,000 alongsiders, so young volunteer Christians. We partner with the local church and they are every single week spending time with their little brother, little sister. I'd love to share now a, a, um, a short video about a young man who is a very, very integral part of the Alongsiders movement. His name is Piram, and he is a dear friend of ours, and we work very closely with Piram in the work that we do in Cambodia. I'll share the video, and then I'll talk a little bit more about his story. My name is Piram Nat. And I will tell you something about my story. I was born uh, in Batambong Province, India, in 1984. I am a twin brother. During my childhood, I lived with a really hard situation. When I was three months old, my father passed away caused by cancer. And unfortunately, my mom believed in the fortune teller, and then they they thought that we are a bad luck baby, and then kill my father, and then my mom is not happy about both of us, and they send us to orphanage center. When I turned to eight years old, I remember I fell down from the house. I'm and contest. I, I can't remember anything. Then I stay in the hospital for three months, and after three months, the doctors mentioned that um, I died already. They took me to the morgue. And then my hand started moving. The doctor said, oh, this, this kid is alive. Even though I, I didn't know who is God? I would say that it's the miracle that um, God saved me. So God is choosing me and calling me since I was a child. That is why I want to use my life to serve God, to help and to work and to change Cambodia through these generations. I am alongside the Cambodia coordinator. I contact pastors or they contact me. Then I go to talk to them about alongsiders. If they are interested, I arrange a meeting with the youth. At this meeting, I share the vision of alongsiders. I follow up with the youth leader afterwards. And when they selected their little brother and sisters, I will register them. Once the alongsiders have started meeting weekly with the little brothers and little sister, I follow up to encourage and see how they're doing. Every year I help organize the annual camp. We encourage the young people in the church to go and walk alongside those kids who walk alone. Those kids who are often vulnerable children, they just need somebody who are really understand about their situations, listen to them, pray for them, and walk alongside them.
What an incredible story. I wish that I could bring Piram here right now and introduce you to him. He is an incredible man of God. But what a story. I've heard that story from Piram firsthand. It's hard to comprehend, isn't it, that a child would not be wanted by the parents. It's hard in our culture to even imagine that the death of a father when little baby boy twins have been born would be blamed on these children, on these innocent children. And that, they, the, that the fortune teller would say that these twins were a curse and not a blessing. That's just something that I know that I, as a mother, find very, very hard to understand coming from the culture, our culture here in Australia. But that is the depth of the darkness in countries like Cambodia. The spiritual battle is real. Piram was told that he was a curse to his family when he was only a three-month-old baby, and he never got to know his father. And not only that, he and his brother were put into an orphanage and were basically raised there in their, in their very young, young years. Um, and I just, you know, it's hard to understand that, isn't it, coming from our culture, but that's the reality of millions of children right throughout the world. And the other aspect of Perim's story, which is just incredible, isn't it, is the fact that they thought he was dead. <laughs> they were literally were taking him to the morgue you know, the, the, the state of the healthcare system in Cambodia and many countries around the world like Cambodia is so poor that they weren't even able to detect whether he was alive or not. I assume that he was in a coma of some, of some sort after falling from that height and he was in hospital, but they didn't even know that he was alive until his hand moved. I mean, that in itself is also hard to get a hands head around. And to not be wanted to not have a family members, parents or aunts, uncles who, who, who are fighting for you, who are caring for you, who basically have left you for dead. That's um, the reality too of so, so many children throughout the world. And look at him now, <laughs> look at Piram. He's a leader of a movement in Cambodia. That, that um, video is actually from six years ago and I wanna tell you more about the rest of his story. Um, at, at the close of what I share today, but he is, he's a respected leader. He's incredibly gifted. He, he's a discipler, he's a pastor, he's a speaker. He shares the love of Christ with everyone he meets. And I get to work alongside him. Paul and I have the honor and privilege of doing that. And he inspires us. His story is something so incredibly unique because of the grace of God. The, um, the video also explained a little bit more about that, the Our Longsiders movement, that very simple um, idea of walking alongside those who walk alone. And the concept of walking alongside is of course based on what Jesus modeled to us. Jesus is highly relational. He was a people people. I love a people person. I love that because I'm a people person. And so I'm like, great, Jesus was a people person. I wanna be like Jesus, right? 
So we see that in the Bible, that Jesus has always had people around him. He loved silence and solitude and you know, seeking out time with his father as well, but he had to fight for it. He, there was always people around Jesus. There were the crowds that were following him and it was really hard for Jesus to get time alone. But he did, he said to the people, come unto me, come. But we see in the Bible that even though everyone wanted a piece of Jesus, that he did choose a small band of followers to invest in, to come get close to and to become his people. We call them now the disciples, but that was, that was Jesus's model. And even more than that, Jesus chose out of that group of 12, three, Peter, James and John, as you know, to become his like inner circle, those that he'd go even deeper with. Those were his real closest friends. They were the ones with him, you know, when he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. They were the ones who saw him be transfigured. They were the ones that he asked to come and be with him at his deepest, darkest hour when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus walked alongside. He spent so much time with this particular group of people and just, and, and, and those sort of select few as well. They ate together, they prayed together, they worked together, they, they walked along the road together, they slept in the same places, they were on boats together, as you know, <laughs> you know, where Jesus calmed to see he was with them in the boat. They got exhausted together. I think of that story of him meeting the woman of Samaria where it says Jesus was so exhausted from the journey that he just sat back down by the well. It was tiring work. They worked together and they cared for each other. He went deep with them. And as he did and as he walked alongside, he was, what was he doing? He was answering their questions. He was role modeling to them how to live and he was training them up, building into their faith, just as the model of alongside us is all about, just that coming alongside and doing life together. Jesus was with them, his disciples, in the everyday. He was responding to their doubts. You know, we always think of Thomas, don't we? Always doubting, but he always had a response to their doubts. He was dealing with their competitiveness, I mean, I can relate to that. I've got three boys. There's a lot of competition. There's a lot of who's the best. I'm stronger than you. I can take you down, that sort of stuff. And remember the, the brothers were saying, well, who's gonna sit on your right and left? You know, like can my, there was a competitiveness. Who's better? Who's been the best disciple? He was exasperated with their unbelief at different times. He was like, oh, you guys so, when are you gonna get it? I, I say that to my kids sometimes too. <laughs> He was frustrated with them at different times, but they did life and they did it authentically and genuinely. And they got to see Jesus in all the fullness of who he was, as someone who loves, someone who was merciful, someone who said to the little children, let them come unto me, for, those, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Jesus loved the children. He loved the vulnerable, he loved the poor, he loved those on the margins. Jesus walked alongside. But when I watch that story of Purim, and I know Purim in full life and energy and fun and everything like that, I think about this 
this young boy who was so close to death that he was taken to the morgue. And it reminds me, of course, of someone else who died and brought, was brought back to life, Jesus. And I think about that story, though, um, about Jesus, the one who walked alongside. So let's just turn to that now. I'd love you, if you have your Bibles, or it'll come up on the screen. And I'd love to just turn to the Scriptures, to Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 35, I think, no, 13 to 32. And I'm just gonna read to you from the Scriptures about Jesus, the one who had died and been brought back to life and then was walking alongside. I'm gonna read from up here because I think I've got a different version here. That same day, two of them were walking to the village of Emmaus, about seven miles out of Jerusalem. They were in deep conversation, going over all these things that had happened. And in the middle of their talk and their questions, Jesus came up and walked with them. He walked alongside. But they were not able to recognise who he was. He asked, Jesus asked, what's this you're discussing so intently as you walk along? They just stood there, long-faced, heavy-hearted, like they'd lost their best friend. Then one of them, his name was Cleopas, said, are you the only one in Jerusalem who hasn't heard the things that have happened in the last few days? And Jesus said, what has happened? They said, these things that happened to Jesus of Nazareth, the Nazarene, he was a man of God, a prophet, dynamic in work and word, blessed by both God and all people. And then our high priests and leaders betrayed him, got him sentenced to death and crucified him. And we had our hopes up that he was the one, the one about to deliver Israel. And it is now the third day since it happened. But some of the women have completely confused us. Early this morning, they were at the tomb. They couldn't find his body. They came back with the story that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of our friends went off to the tomb to check and found it empty, just as the woman said, but they didn't see Jesus. Then he said to them, so thick-headed, so slow-hearted, why can't you simply believe that all that the prophets said? Don't you see that these things had to happen? That the Messiah had to suffer only then to enter his glory? Then he started at the beginning with the books of Moses, went through all the prophets, pointing out everything in the scriptures that had referred to him. They came to the edge of the village where they were headed. And he acted as if he was going on, but they pressed him, stay, have dinner with us, have supper with us. It's nearly evening, the day is done. So he went in with them and here's what happened. He sat down at the table with them, he took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to them. And at that moment, open-eyed, wide-eyed, they recognised him and then he disappeared. My version says their hearts, their hearts warmed within them.
So this story, this story of Jesus walking alongside these, these two people on the road to Emmaus, what does it remind us of? These disciples had just seen Jesus be crucified. They'd just seen him suffer and be tortured and, and, and die. And now, I'm sure, as they are walking back to town, to, to, they were feeling very disillusioned, confused, probably very angry, and certainly full of doubt. They'd heard some rumours from the women that the tomb was empty, but they weren't really sure whether to believe it or not. They were just women, of course. And don't forget, like in Cambodian culture, women didn't have the authority or the, they weren't maybe as trustworthy as men. They were filled probably with fear. They'd seen what? the Jewish leadership had done to Jesus. And they were probably a bit worried about themselves, to be honest, because there's guilt by association back in those days. They knew that being associated with Jesus would put them at risk, maybe threaten their own families. And there was fear. So I reckon the context to this story and how they ended up on the road to Emmaus was that they were thinking, let's get out of here. You know, let's get out of here because I don't know if we wanna be part of this anymore. But that's exactly where Jesus met them. He met them in the midst of their sadness and their disillusionment and their confusion and their questions. That's where he met them. Things certainly hadn't worked out at all how they'd all planned. They were lost in their pain, in their, in their just sort of unbelief and, and just confusion. They didn't know what to make out of all of this. And that's where Jesus met them. I've had that experience too. When we came back from Cambodia in 2014, it was really confusing. I had cancer. How did that happen? I was 39 years old, three young boys, living in Cambodia with, with my husband, serving God. And all of a sudden, I was sitting in a, in a chair, receiving chemotherapy, for stage 4B cervical cancer. And I remember thinking, how did I get here? This is so confusing to me. I was just in shock, I think, and disillusioned. That is where Jesus met me, though. So these, these, these two people walking along um, the road, of course, what we hear in this, in this gospel story is that they didn't recognise Jesus, though. They didn't see him. But even though they didn't recognise who he was, he just continued to walk alongside them. He not only walked alongside them, but he spent hours, it's a long journey, seven, maybe 13 kilometres, I think, seven miles, and he spent time explaining everything to them in a way that made sense to them. They didn't know that that was Jesus. They couldn't see. They were blinded to the fact that it was Jesus. Yet he walked alongside them in their grief, in their sadness, in their loss, in their confusion, in their disillusionment. Have you ever stopped to think about what Jesus had just experienced only a few days before he met the two on the road to Emmaus? They believe that this story, this happened on the afternoon of Jesus' resurrection. 
He'd been risen back to life and the the tomb was empty. That was found early in the morning, of course, by the the women. But they believed that this, 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 this journey that they took on foot, walking alongside, happened the afternoon of his resurrection. So that means only three days before, Jesus had been crucified. He'd not just been crucified, he'd been tortured, he'd been mocked, he'd been humiliated, he'd been rejected. He had gone through pain that none of us will really fully understand. The sin of the world had been put on his shoulders. That is what Jesus, fully God but fully human, had experienced only three days before. And yes, he'd been resurrected and he was fully alive and, and been brought back to life. But I'm sure, and we know, that he still had wounds, didn't he? He still had the scars and the wounds in his body as the evidence of what he'd endured for our sakes. As a man, he'd experienced a depth of grief and pain and woundedness and humiliation that we can't even get our heads around. That had only happened a few days before. As a man, he would be traumatized by those, that pain and that loss. Yet where do we find Jesus? Where do we find Jesus? Walking alongside his troubled, confused, lost and hurting friends. That's where he was. He was wounded, he was crucified only days before, but where do we find him? We find him walking alongside his disappointed disciples on that road to Emmaus. And how did they greet him? Think about that, how did they greet him? They don't even recognize him. They were so lost in their own grief, their own story, that they couldn't even see Jesus. They were in a world of pain, let's just say. Their whole, everything that they'd pinned on Jesus being the Messiah, the one, the one to basically bring the fulfillment of prophecy had completely fallen apart. And they can't see that it's Jesus because they're so lost in their own grief, their own woundedness, their own pain. Sometimes we don't see Jesus walking alongside us either when we're in pain, when we are wounded. Sometimes maybe we can when we look back later. I talked to someone the other day about their story of woundedness and they said, I didn't really feel or see Jesus at the time. But when I look back now, I can see evidence of the way he was with me and how things came to pass and there there were definitely things that were from God and blessings that happened that remind me that he, he must have been there. But at the time, I just... I just didn't feel God. Have you ever experienced that? I think I have. It wasn't when I was first in the hospital, those first couple of weeks with Paul and the boys still in Cambodia and me being here, but it was later. I just wasn't really sure where God was. I wasn't, I just couldn't get my head around it. I felt really alone. I felt actually at the time that even Paul wasn't willing to enter into the pain and the reality of my diagnosis 
And that made me feel really alone. And I just wasn't sure where God was in it all. Have you ever experienced that? The silence of God, a distance from him? A time when you couldn't really feel God with you? It's a really lonely place. It's very isolating. My dad is actually here today and it's actually his 80th birthday today. So I just want to acknowledge you, Dad, and say happy birthday. It's also my father-in-law's birthday today and he's 75. So we have a double blessing and double birthday. But 13 years ago, my dad also had really advanced cancer and he ended up very close to death in ICU just a week before Christmas. And I remember when he was so sick and so depleted physically, he dropped down to just over 40 kilos and he was so, so sick that there were times, even though he's a great man of faith and he knows the Lord and he shares the love of God and wants to tell people about the love of Jesus at every opportunity and he truly, truly knows who who God is. I know and I remember as his daughter him struggling at certain points just to feel that God was with him. There were times that he asked me to remind him of that. He asked me to tell him and to, to speak truth and life into that place of being so, so sick and in pain and just, I suppose, overwhelmed. And that happens to us. And I know that there's woundedness in our community here. There's no question about that. We are, we are wounded. We all have wounds. Maybe you have been hurt by the church even, or someone in your family has been hurt by the church. Or maybe there's been a sense of judgment and you've struggled with that. Maybe you grew up in an environment where there was a lot of judgment or shame. Maybe you've been even hurt by unsolicited advice or counsel. I, was listen- I listened to Sonia Beveridge sharing um, at Last Times Inspire, and she told that story of losing her, her baby and someone saying to her, Sonia, dry your tears. You know, they're taking away from the glory of God. When I heard that story, I related to that really, really immediately because in our little neighbourhood in Cambodia, there is just one other little family that are believers, which we only sort of discovered about a year or two after moving into our neighbourhood. And very tragically, probably about 18 months ago, their youngest child was out on the field playing with all the other kids, this sort of sandy dirt lot that has been sort of a reclaimed Um, rice paddy, lotus field, and their son literally dropped dead. He had a heart condition that they knew of, he was being treated, but he tripped and fell, and his heart, because his heart stopped beating. And we didn't know this family actually prior to to this happening, Um, but all the kids in our neighbourhood quickly ran around you know, to tell Paul and I and said, quick, quick, you know, come and pray, come and pray. You guys believe in Jesus too. You guys believe in Jesus too. They need you to come and, come and, and be with the family. 
And so Paul went over first and then I went over later. And, um, and actually Paul was asked to pray <laughs> at, the, at the, like the height of it all when the little boy's body was laying there in front of, in front of us. And, and he'd actually only learnt very recently to pray in Kamai. So that was amazing that God had given him the ability to pray in Kamai. And, um, but I went back, I went then later and the pastor arrived, the, the sort of the highly respected pastor. And I heard the wife of the pastor say to the mother, stop crying, he's with Jesus. Stop crying, your tears are taking away God's glory. He's, you should be happy he's with Jesus. Now I've got to tell you, something in my heart was very, very troubled by that advice, by that counsel that came from a respected Christian person in their lives. But that can happen, can't it? We can have hurts and wounds. Things could have been said to us while we were younger or growing up, even within the church, even by people who we know as Christians. There are wounds that we carry. There could be a relationship wound or a rejection. There's so many ways that in this broken world we are wounded. But I'm just wondering where Jesus is in those times where we're really struggling in the woundedness. Maybe we too are like those disciples on the road to Emmaus and we're just blinded to that. Because Jesus is always there, but sometimes we just can't see it. But he is always there. The silence of God, the, 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 the distance of God is, is part of that journey. But just like those who traveled, who, who Jesus was walking alongside on the road to Emmaus, he is always there, even if we don't recognize that. In Psalm 23, it says, and it reminds us, even though we walk through the dark valley of death, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me, guiding me, guarding me all the way. That's a truth. That's a promise. And in our woundedness and our times of when things are dark, we need to hold on to the promises of God. The Bible talks a lot about redemption, doesn't it? That's the whole idea in the Bible. And the, and the idea that difficult circumstances that we face and the comfort that we receive from God is a gift that we can then pass on from others. That's the biblical concept of the wounded healer. That those that carry wounds and have walked through deep waters of loss and grief and pain and rejection, all of the things that Piram has experienced are able to help others and to then walk alongside others. And when we do that, we are modeling, we are following in the footsteps of Christ. Jesus is the one who heals, but of course, Jesus had to be grievously pained and wounded in the process to bring healing into the world. He is our wounded healer. There's something really beautiful about that idea, isn't it? That he is the wounded healer. We too can be wounded healers for people in our lives. 
It makes me think of Piram, that concept of the wounded healer. And actually, it makes me think of some of the other beautiful young people that we work with and alongside us. I've only told you that one story of Piram, but there are so many stories I could share with you. But Piram is a living, breathing wounded healer. So that video that I showed you was filmed six years ago. And, I, and, and, and Piram is still living out that calling on his life of being a wounded healer. He has discipled and pastored and walked alongside so, so many young people in Cambodia. And now he is actually the director of our Shalom Valley campsite down three hours south of Phnom Penh. And Purim in that role has an incredible opportunity to not only disciple the young group of staff that we have, we have about 12 staff down there who, who are basically with him every single day and he's discipling them. And we've seen three of our staff come to know God, come to know Jesus through the daily walking alongside that Purim does with them and the discipleship. But he also is a leader in the Alongsiders movement in Cambodia. He is one of the elders of that movement. Recently, we had a tragedy happen where one of our young little brothers um, actually lost his life in, in floodwaters in Cambodia. He was actually with a friend playing down the, the, edge of the, the edge of the river. It was a flooded river though. And his friend went in to try and retrieve something but when the young boy went in to help his friend, he actually got caught in the waters. Some people saw them, his alongsider was there, but they couldn't get him. So the two boys, one of the boys died. And I got to see Piram walk alongside this young man, this young alongsider, who literally saw his little brother drown in the floodwaters in Cambodia. Pirom can meet that young man in his grief because he has experienced woundedness and grief so many times and at so many layers in his life. Sometimes we can use our wounds and our pains as an excuse as to why we can't be used by God. Have you ever done that? Have you ever thought, I, I can't be used by God because I'm wounded, I'm a hurting person. But I believe that God's plan's the opposite to that actually. It's our woundedness that makes us approachable, makes us genuine, makes us trustworthy, and makes us a person who has something to give to a hurting world. Compassion, empathy, they are born out of our woundedness. Did you know that the word for compassion in the Latin root means co-suffering? Co-suffering. I'm wounded, you're hurting, let's walk alongside together. And in that place, hope is born. Deep love for others come out of our woundedness as well, but also hope. As a wounded healer who loves Jesus, we can offer his love and hope to other people. Like Jesus, who is the true wounded healer, we need to continue to walk alongside the road with those who are hurting in our lives, even if they don't recognise that we're doing that. That's hard, right? It's hard when you're trying to love people 
and you want to love them, but they can't recognise that, that, that your intention is good. Or maybe they don't appreciate it, or maybe they just don't recognise who we want to demonstrate love to them in a way to honour God. But we need to continue to just lean into that, to have the courage to talk about our own woundedness, to not put it over here, leave it behind the the, the back door or under the carpet. Our own woundedness is part of our story and it's part of who God made us to be. And just like Jesus, the wounded healer, we are called then to walk alongside others in their woundedness. We see that in Purim, and we have so many others. I wish I could introduce you to Chenda, also a beautiful young leader in the Alongsiders movement who comes from a very broken background, but she walks alongside others out of her woundedness, just as Jesus did. So as I close, I'd love to just pray for us now and give us a few moments to just sit in the quiet and think about how can God use my woundedness to bring healing and hope to others. Maybe there's someone in your life who needs, to, who needs someone to walk alongside them. Maybe your story of woundedness, of hardship, of grief, of loss is something that you can share as a way of sharing the hope and love of Jesus with them. Let's just pray now and I'll just give some time for us to think about that. Dear Lord, you didn't hide away your scars or your wounds after you had suffered and died for us, they were still on full display. You even allowed Thomas to touch the wound in your side. They were real. You never never hid them away. God, help us to be like you in that way. Help us not to give in to any thoughts of embarrassment or shame around the wounds the hard, the pain, the grief, the loss that we have experienced in our lives. Each and every one of us has a story that can be used for your glory, God. And Lord, right now I pray that you will help us to have the courage to be honest and real about the wounds, about the hard things, Lord God and to be willing to be that wounded healer in the lives of others. Lord God, thank you that you are the wounded healer, that you understand us, you know our weaknesses, you know our our losses, you know our griefs, you've experienced that. There's nothing that you don't know or haven't experienced. There's no situation that you can't with compassion and empathy enter into. Help us to have the courage to enter into the pain of others for your sake and for your glory. And God, thank you for godly men like Piram. 
godly men who have come from brokenness, loss, grief, rejection, shame, all the different tragedies that we can't even wrap our heads around that Piram has experienced. But we thank you that you have, how you have raised him up as a wounded healer to lead the next generation in Cambodia of young people who know you and believe in you. I pray for him, Lord. I pray that you will just empower Purim in your Holy Spirit to continue to walk in that place of being a wounded healer and in his leadership. I pray for all of the leadership within Alongsiders and Shalom Valley, right throughout the world, because I know there are many, many, many other young men and women who are stepping into that place of leadership right now out of their own experiences of loss and woundedness because they love others. May your word go forth and may you, God, touch the lives of those who don't know you yet and may they find hope and life in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. just say, um, I just noticed Paul sneaking at the back there at the end of the service. So if anybody wants to come and chat with us at the end, please do. We'll just be out in the courtyard. I think we should just sing what a friend we have in Jesus just the first verse let's stand together as God's been speaking to our hearts this morning so much and how much he loves us and how much we can take everything to God in prayer let's sing it together what a friend we have in Jesus
blessed this morning. Um, we've been reminded of the Lord Jesus, even on the day of his resurrection, just after his crucifixion, he walked alongside those who were uh, just totally lost within themselves. But in a sense, he resurrected them. He revealed himself to them. And Father, today, we pray that those of us who may be still feeling wounded in some way will find your presence, will know your love, your touch upon our lives. And uh, we commend Paul and Alison and the three boys to you as in a few months' time, perhaps around January, they'll return to Cambodia. And uh, we pray, Lord, that as they seek to walk alongside those who don't know Jesus, those who are vulnerable, those who are suffering and alone, we pray that they'll know the mighty grace and the empowering of the Spirit of God. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like prayer for any reason whatsoever, please feel, for, feel free to come forward and some of us will be available to pray with you. Now, the other thing, you may sit down. The other thing I need to say is that uh, Alison needs to be up in the other building around 11 o'clock for the facilitated listening prayer. Correct? Yes. So she's only got a, just a few minutes before she needs to move on. So, but Paul is here and he will listen and talk to you and help you all he can. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye.